Season 2, Episode 2. Welcome to the Baseline Feed Podcast. My name is Tanner Wood, and I'll be your host. This is the second episode of our season, and I must thank you all for your continued support. We're continuing to work hard to offer you quality content for this second season, and on behalf of the Baseline Feed team, we hope that you enjoy it. As you already know, Baseline Feed is a podcast to serve aspiring authors and voice talent, and even producers. To inquire about it, send us a quick message at baselinefeedpod at gmail.com. Check out our website for more information. If you enjoy what we're doing here, please feel free to share this podcast however you feel comfortable sharing. It's the only way this show can grow. Imagine, if you will, life in the 30th century. Technology has advanced so far beyond what we know now and are accustomed to in the 21st century. We went from relying on Google for anything and everything to remarkable advances in brain mapping and cerebral interfaces. We enter the setting of this week's story where people can download all the information they could ever want and need directly into their brain. The limits of human potential only dependent on the ability of one's own body. I mean, imagine if you could download the skill set of a neurosurgeon. But if you lacked the dexterity to hold a scalpel, you couldn't really do much then, could you? This same concept applied to all professions, like construction workers needing physical strength and coordination to work with others. Futurists talked about a singularity, a merging of man and machine, robotics, computers, and humanity all working as one. But in this society, it turns out good old meat and bone was more economical and efficient. I mean, kids graduate high school at age 12. I was still playing kick the can at that age. Then they go on to download their graduate degrees when their brains and bodies stop developing. The natural progression was to download your job based on your physical capabilities. This takes us to the setting of this week's story, brought to us by Andrew J. Lucas and portrayed by Evan Jaffe and Rebecca Mersinger. Let's take a look into the future through the eyes of a day worker. My day began no differently than billions of other workers across the country. Wake up, scarf down a government-mandated nutritious breakfast specially formulated to ensure physical performance and mental acuity, and then make your way down to the employment office. No matter how many times I walked into the employment office, I always felt nervous. It was understandable, I guess, especially as my first job ended up with my arms deep inside someone's chest cavity. There was supposed to be a system to prevent that, checks and balances and such. 
But still, my first job was as a 12-year-old heart surgeon. That kind of thing, it sticks with you. Most people tried to get to the office first thing, as everyone knew all the good jobs went early. Once you accepted a work chip, you were required to take the assigned position. It wasn't complicated. Walk in, choose a chip, then do a good day's work. By the time I got to the office, only a few people were milling about outside the doors. They all had their work chips and were waiting for whatever employer had hired them to pick them up. From the looks of them, large, muscular men and women, it was probably a day in the fields or some warehouse somewhere that they had to look forward to. None of them looked any happier than I felt, and to top it off, I had a horrible headache and felt like I was coming down with the flu, or something. Hey, Bob! That was Cheryl, a petite blonde caseworker who had been flirting with me for months. Cheryl had been working out of this office for years. And while we both downloaded high school together, I really didn't know her well. I did know her type though, and that I wasn't interested. Morning, Miss Rasmussen. Please! How many times do I have to tell you? It's Cheryl! Cheryl? So, is there anything left? <laughs> All business today, Bob. Okay, be that way. Come into assessment room one and we'll see what we have for you. She was trying to be both sulky and flirtatious. Trying being the operative word, but she wasn't taking the hint. Eventually I'd bite the bullet and take her out for drinks or something. Perhaps then she'd realize that we didn't have anything in common. Either that or we'd end up married with a couple of kids, a dog, and a crippling mortgage. There were no half measures with Cheryl, although we might have to give up one of the kids to make room for the dozen or so cats I was sure she already had at home. Sure thing, Cheryl. I hope there's something good left. Cheryl held open the door to the small assessment room. Half doctor's office and half bureaucratic nightmare filled with stacks of unfiled paperwork and a full examination bed complete with stirrups. Why the bed was there in the first place was a bit of a mystery. Work chips were all inserted into the cerebral slot that every North American child had installed in grade school. Judging by the number of papers and dust, the bed had long been doubling as a file cabinet. <laughs> Have a seat, Bob. Cheryl sidled herself up onto the desk and placed herself provocatively close to the chair she expected me to sit in. Just another day in the office with Cheryl. I tried to avoid making eye contact as I squeezed past her and into the chair. She picked up a small box and perched herself on the edge of the desk. Inside was an assortment of brightly colored chips and a medical instrument that looked like a cross between a digital thermometer and an oversized cribbage board. Looks like a lot of blues in there. This late in the day, that's all you can expect, Bob. 
You know that. Blues were jobs that required a certain amount of physicality. Construction work, policing, dance instructor, and the like. Reds required an artistic blend, like painters, surgeons, and such. Yellows needed a certain mathematical aptitude, like accountancy. Greens were performance-oriented, tied into specific body types, generally giving coordination skills to people who already spent a significant amount of time sculpting their bodies to match the needs of these chips. Then there were the silvers and golds. These were reserved for workers with a specific type of brain chemistry, more apt for creative thought. Architects and scientists. They paid better than any other color, but only a lucky few had brains that could slot them. Employers copyrighted and zealously guarded their skill sets, apportioning them out as needed. Why hire and train a permanent workforce when you could train a handful and download them into temps as needed? So, what's left? Cheryl looked at the installer and then at me. <sighs> Does it matter, Bob? Cheryl put the instrument on the desk and leaned forward, staring into my eyes. You never show up early enough for the really good reds. It's like you don't want to do anything important with your life. Now that was one skill that had never been able to be hard-coded or downloaded into a chip. Sheer, unadulterated bitch. Come on, Cheryl. Do we have to do this? I just want you to succeed. It is my job, you know. Cheryl pouted again. She should know by now that wouldn't work. I leaned forward and flipped the cover off my cerebral implant port. It was a standard government-issued port. Nothing fancy, but all that I really needed. You know the type. Just a simple plug with a factory-issue yellow and black caution label. No gold highlights or LED lighting for me. It connected directly into my cerebral cortex, as well as my autonomic system, all the way to my spinal cord. I suppose that was special enough as an example of modern technology, but as every kid in North America had one, it didn't seem that special. What was that old saying? If everyone was special, then no one was. I felt that way about my input plug. Cheryl attached an input lead from her machine to my input plug, taking just enough time to sweep my hair out of the way to give me that creepy feeling. The machine was supposed to sync up my brain and body's capacity with the available job chips. I tended to get a lot of light office chips, accountancy, call center, cashier's deliveries, and that type of work. The sort of work that anyone with an input plug could do. Boring, ordinary, and dull. Cheryl was interacting with the machine and scowled. She input another command which resulted in more unpleasant noise before she wrapped it hard with the palm of her hand. I suppose she had either downloaded a Scottish engineer's skill set this morning, or had no idea that the sensitive electrical device she was pounding on was plugged into my fucking brain. The machine flashed a warning symbol and shut down. 
that's odd. The neurosampler says that your brain is incompatible with all the chips we have. I see. I gave her the stink eye, carefully removing the input cord from my skull, but it was already half unplugged from Cheryl's jostling. You probably have a bit of an infection that's throwing off the interface. Well, that didn't sound too bad. Or it's a tumor. And there it was. I don't think it's a tumor. You're probably right, Bob. But it's probably best if you get it checked out. Turns out it was a tumor. One of those that are so invasive it didn't matter how good a chip you slotted. You'd never be able to carve it out. The doctor at the walk-in clinic said it was mostly benign. But it was a 50-50 chance whether it would stay that way. He was a single father I'd seen around the neighborhood, but never really talked to before. Huh, hell of a way to break the ice. Who needed a specialist ward when everyone was a specialist? He gave me some antibiotics to help with the inflammation around my input port, and we made a couple of follow-up appointments. It was a couple of days before I went back to the employment office, and as ever, Cheryl was there to greet me with her predatory smile and roving hands. It wasn't long before I was back in assessment room one. She brushed my hair aside. Again. So, are you feeling better? Much. I was worried about you. I was tired of playing this game, and the antibiotics the clinic prescribed were putting me on edge. It was nothing, just a cold. Damned if I was going to give her an excuse to fake more sympathy. Bad enough that she thought she was my high school career counselor. Not that the profession had existed for a couple of dozen years, but you get my point. Well, that's good. That's... strange. What's strange? Just give me a second. She re-ran the test a couple more times before finally seeming satisfied with the results. Well, Bob, it looks like you hit the jackpot, Tiger. The machine has selected you for a unique opportunity. This is a chip that every employment office has. I've never seen it assigned before. It's a developer chip. She pulled out a single gold chip from her machine. The chip looked older than any I'd seen before and featured a prominent band of silver. It looked a little scuffed, scratched, and peeling in places, a bit beaten around the edges. Probably been rattling around in her box for quite some time. I had a sinking feeling in my stomach just looking at the chip. I had heard of these chips before, and everyone had. It contained the skill set of the man who had created the chip system, Johan Vandenberg. Vandenberg was regarded as a modern-day combination of Albert Einstein and Benjamin Franklin with a touch of Stephen Hawking, 
all flavored with the worldview of Henry Ford. It was an urban legend that no one had ever qualified to slot one before. After all, who really had the raw ability and creativity to modify or improve on a system everyone used, and was created by arguably the finest mind ever to grace the planet? It was my worst nightmare. You're kidding. I don't think so, Bob. The results were pretty clear. Well, I'd rather have the blue, please. Cheryl looked at me hard, and there was no warmth in her gaze. The casual flirtation was over. No doubt her mind was running the numbers on a developer chip's pay scale, and her commission. Up until now, she'd let me choose whatever chip I wanted because she was sweet on me. That was over now. I don't think so, Bob. For whatever reason, the machine wants to give you a developer chip. I suggest you take it. It has to be a mistake. Run the machine again. No. What do you mean, no? I mean, no. You've been skating through here, not taking chips you could, and now we've got a payday here. Now it's we... Is it, Cheryl? Damn right it's we! You ungrateful little snot! I don't know why the machine selected you, and I don't care! Take the damn chip, or by God, I will make you regret it! She could, too. A black mark from her, and I wouldn't be allowed into any employment office anywhere in the city. Sure, I could refuse the chip, but was it worth joining the ranks of the unplugged? Those poor bastards who couldn't take an implant because of mental issues, incompatible brain chemistry, or addiction issues. Sure, they could find work as grocery baggers and such, but most just cashed their disability checks and faded away. Cheryl could see my hesitation. Look, it's not, it's not the same thing. You tried your best, but you were only 12. It, it didn't matter that your hands were ideal for a thoracic surgeon. You were too young. I realize that, but he died. You tried your best. You were just a child. It was too much. The memories came flooding back. The sounds, the copper smell of blood, mingled with the antiseptic smell of a surgical mask meant for an adult. The slick feel of the man's heart pulsing and sliding in my hands as I massaged it, waiting for an adult to arrive and take over. He, he had been in cardiac arrest when I entered the office. They hadn't been able to get anyone else in fast enough. He died. Cheryl took my hands in hers and stared deep into my eyes. Gone was the flirting office cougar. Gone was the greedy bureaucrat. Looking into her eyes, all I saw was a woman who knew the pain I felt. The fear and the betrayal. I could like this woman. 
I know, honey, I know. But it's not the same. No one's going to die. I guess. Of course not. It's just development work. Like making an iPhone with a larger screen. Simple. Simple. Right. A few hours later, I had been picked up in a limousine and ferried to a lab downtown by a bewildering number of star-eyed researchers and technicians. They all seemed inordinately impressed by the fact that I'd drawn the coveted developer chip. I hadn't done anything yet, but they were all looking at me like I was Arthur and just pulled Excalibur from the stone. Apparently, this was the first developer chip ever drawn. No one had ever had the appropriate skills or cerebral capacity to slot one. They had a protocol for this situation which was summed up as giving me a huge check, a room to slot the chip, and then anything I needed. I started with a soda. Now I sat with the scruffy gold chip in one hand, a nice cold drink in the other, and a six-digit check, and no idea what to do next. I wasn't stupid. No one had offered me a developer chip in the decade or so I'd been in the workforce. It had to be the tumor affecting my brain chemistry somehow. I didn't feel smarter, just a hell of a lot more nervous. There was no way to back out now. I slipped the chip into my input jack, and my world exploded. Suddenly, I could see everything. It was like the world was connected to me by these multicolor streamers. I could see the invisible spectrum of communication between all the technology in the building and beyond. Huge tunnels of data plunged through the wall in front of me, pouring data into the smart desk the techs had provided me. I ran a hand through the data, and the potential of each small datum changed as I touched it, swirling around my hand before it went off to its final destination. I had no idea what I'd changed. I suppose a genius like Vandenberg would know exactly what he was changing, but not me. I swirled my hands about, creating cascades of data in virtual showers before they flew away on new trajectories. It was fun and slightly overwhelming. I got a little nervous about what I was doing when one of the data particles shot off into one of the streamers, which connected to my input plug and I felt a shock like a jolt of electricity. Whatever I had done, I felt through my nervous system. Perhaps it was time to take this a little more seriously. Concentrating on the data, I isolated a small streamer that wasn't connected to my brain and looked hard at it. It led to a small Wi-Fi enabled thermostat mounted on the wall. 
The device was happily scanning the room and adjusting the temperature in small increments, depending upon my body's ambient heat, air currents, and the amount of sunlight filtering in through the blinds. I could tell it was looking at my skin's surface temperature and changing the airflow and temperature to match it. Huh, I had no idea. I found many similar devices waiting for a response from me in the room. Power sockets idling to read whatever device was plugged into them before adjusting their current to the optimum flow. Light bulbs that read my pupil dilation and adjusted their output to reduce eye fatigue. Hell, even the doorknob was subtly power assisted to determine the appropriate resistance to my grip. I suppose I knew all this technology existed, but like most people, never really thought much about it until now. Now that my brain was wired directly into it. It was intimidating. I'm sure there was a user manual to the developer chip, and no doubt all the information was being fed to the parts of my brain where my new tumor lived. Just my luck. I took a moment to look for one rather than just jumping into it blind. Turned out there was a user manual of sorts and a very interactive one. I could open up virtual windows in the air around me and ask questions and get answers from these windows. These windows let me ask all sorts of questions. General ones like, how does the city subway work? Or why do you have to arrive one hour before your flight? And specific ones like, can the federal mint change the face on the $5 bill? Or can I reduce the size of the tax code? I hate tax time. Anyways, the answers were all there, in as much detail as I wanted, with some broad parameters that could be manipulated. Each time I adjusted one parameter, like, say, the timetable for Chicago's inner city bus schedule, all the other parameters changed. And with each parameter's change, a little voice asked if I was sure, accompanied by a pop-up. I thought that it was strange that the help file would be so needy. I guess it was more of a tutorial than anything else. But then the gold chip was very complicated to use and needed a pretty sophisticated interface. And this one was very intuitive. When I brought up the NORAD system, there were hundreds of little pop-ups before I could actually start working on it. That system, more than any, was hard to understand. I moved dozens of little sliders before I got them all where I wanted them. After a while, I got bored with the tutorial and went back to playing with the data flow around me. I reached out to the doorknob and played with the signals flowing through it. The data responded instantly by increasing the torque within the knob so much that it seized the door within its frame. Not a good start, but I persevered and played with the thermostat some, but somehow managed to get that stuck on full and no manipulation of the data flow could get it back down. I did manage to shut down the air circulation, and that helped some. With that little success, I was encouraged, and looked at the power plug and poking at its data current, 
produced an impressive power surge. I played for hours, with all the data going through the huge virtual data pipeline in the middle of the room. I spent a couple of hours flipping through the current, figuring out what the various flows meant. Robotic assemblers, GPS positioning calibrators, transit bus routers, FDA approval systems, and all sorts of weird and wonderful data flowed through this room, connecting every point on the planet. It was intoxicating touching so much data. I knew it would only be a matter of time before I started to understand what the data actually meant, and I could feel the knowledge tickling at the edge of my mind. Every few hours, the room would dispense a meal for me. There was an app for that. And while the selection was a little bland, it was pasty enough. I guess developers needed isolation to concentrate, and a bunch of prepackaged meals helped with that. Can't say I didn't appreciate the foresight, as I was enjoying the work now that I had the swing of it. A beer or two would have been nice. I think I was working at it for three or four days before the text took a fire axe to the door. I'm late as usual, but this time the culprit is the lack of any reliable transit. Well, that and the roads are clogged with traffic accidents, emergency service vehicles, and clouds of smoke. Luckily, I was able to tag along with a group of retro hippies whose busted up van didn't have GPS or any type of computer assist, and it worked just fine. It was still a harried trip, many of the other drivers struggling to control their vehicles manually. I guess their vehicles didn't sync up anymore. I'd sympathize more if I had a car, but hitchhiking to the employment office wasn't that different from taking public transit. Today, Cheryl doesn't spend any time on pleasantries, as she hustles me into assessment room two. The lights are a little bright, the room is a bit stuffy, and smells like smoke. Probably from what's left of assessment room one. Still, the office is better off than the thousands of other buildings across the country. I can see the flicker of fire still burning across the city through the drawn blinds. Cheryl and I don't talk about that, or much of anything. I still come to the office daily, and she still scans my brain. But the feedback from the developer chip burnt the tumor right out, along with any hope of getting another gold chip. I doubt Cheryl would ever offer me one again anyway.
Wow, I don't know about you, but I think downloading a new job every day could be pretty sweet. I think I'll wait for them to iron out all the kinks first. We close by giving credit where credit is due and highlighting our voice talent. Dayworker was written by Andrew J. Lucas, featuring Rebecca Mersinger as Cheryl and Evan Jaffe as Bob. The sound design was by Tanner Wood. Episode artwork by Peyton Odin, who you can find on Instagram at Peyton K. Odin, and music arrangements by C.M. Peters. You can also support us on Patreon. We would like to express our eternal love and gratitude to our newest patrons, Kelly Sisson, Arthur Unk, Neil Skorupa, Christopher Schultz, Doozer Pin Dan, Justin Dahl, and Her Highness, Queen Cam. You guys help make it possible to bring you quality content and our authors and voice talent more exposure. If you would also like our eternal love and gratitude with, along with other goodies, check us out on Patreon. You can find the link to it on our website, BaselineFeed.com. One last reminder. You can also join us on Discord for more behind-the-scenes stuff. Thank you for joining us, and make sure to tune in every other Saturday on your favorite podcast app to listen to a new episode of Baseline Feed. <laughs>